When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Sugar, Silk and Stretch, an extremely amusing <laughs> podcast brought to you exclusively by his podcast nation. My name's Ben My name is Michael Silk Olajide. <laughs> <laughs> And um, his friend Gary Stretch. All right, <laughs> cheers, boys. Listen, guys, we've already been throwing a curveball t- today, but tonight in England, and today in your kind of part of the world, because we expected to have former two-weight world champ Greg Hogan. We were very much looking forward to a rare audience with Greg, but he's gone quiet today, so we're forced to make a contingency of a show. We apologise to anybody <coughs> specifically for Greg. He may come in a bit later. We hope so. You know, sometimes that's been known to happen. But in the meantime, we're, we're kind of um, reduced to talking about the fight games sort of recent rumblings, lads. Um, I know, Gary, you... Before we go there, before we go there, uh, before we go there, can you... Do you have any questions? Like, can you tell us some of the questions you were going to ask him? What are the most... Uh, um, you were so so fucking random, Silk. I swear to God, it's a good job I love you. He's a Gary. Get this right. We're doing a thing. I, I'm trying to be professional. I'm, I'm going to say, let's do this. Try and lead the show and and compensate the disappointment. He goes, uh, "What were you going to ask him if he was here?" All right, I'll tell you. Just because it's you. All right. Yeah. I was and I'll, going pretend to say, I'll pretend I'm him. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. There we go. You I'll go. answer his yeah. questions, and we'll say it was him. Um, all I would ask is that we don't burn out and, and, and air all of our Greg Horgan questions before he ever turns up. But what I was going to say, Michael, to get things rolling, if you'd allow me, I don't know, you might have come in first with something, you know, just right off the top of your head. But That's I was going to say, Greg, it's impossible to mention your name without somebody mentioning the legendary Tough Man contests, which, you know, which spawned you from in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, I'd just like to, you know... To hear your recollections of those days, you know, on that circuit where I hear you often box guys who were like 300 pounds and all no. the rest of it. How was it back then? That was my first question. Interesting. He did that in Alaska, right? Anchorage? Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. That wasn't that. before his amateur career, though, was it? It was probably running concurrent to the amateur career, I guess. So, you no, know, but just... actually, that would be a pro fight. He couldn't fight pro and fight amateur. It was probably considered unlicensed, Silk. Do you have that in America? Gary knows what I'm talking about here. For, for many years in England, we had unaffiliated shows, which we called unlicensed. The standard was not terribly good a lot of the time. But some of them, Michael, were, yeah. were, were really decent pros who might have failed their medical for the British Boxing Board of Control. So the, it was called unlicensed, but they weren't illegal. and it, But they wouldn't go on any database of records. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in the States, you weren't allowed to do that. Do you not have unlicensed boxing in the States? You must have. No. no. Isn't that weird, Gary? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they must did on not underground. Yeah, I mean, no, it's all they all has to be like a medical professional there, and you know what I mean? It's like you can you can have like a tough man contest, that kind of thing, but that's considered a pro fight. It's you're getting paid for it. Look what Joe said here. He said, Why did nobody else fight on the card Greg turned pro on or his second bout? 
if it, if he was here, of course, he said he was going to ask him that. So maybe that was something of a shady show. You know, we, we're very limited credibility. Okay, well, I was going to ask him. First thing I was going to ask him was the Chavez fight. That man is usually as calm as a yogi before the bell rings. But Greg had him jumping up and down like a Watusi warrior or something. Like, what did you say to him? <laughs> that, yeah. made, that made Chavez so friggin' angry because. Whew. Well, Greg was pretty good at kind of trash talking and, and, and mouthing off if he needed to. I don't suppose he instigated it often, but he was, um, you know, him and Pazienza got into it a lot. I remember that. Yeah. You know, and he oh, was, not not just Vinny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Vinny's Vinny's hot, right? So he's very passionate about his thing. So if you see something to Vinny, it, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, even look what he was fighting Roy Jones, right? And and they were going at each other in the ring, not just physically, but, you know, talking. I'm quite glad that our interview went with Paz went as well as it did, because I've spent quite a lot of time in the last few years saying, I cannot stand that disingenuous times five thing. Was he a world champion five times my ass? And, and a few people have tagged Vinny in my things previously saying, oh, you know, this, this line me is dissing you and all the rest of it. So <laughs> I thought we did pretty good, Silk, back in Atlantic City um, mm -hmm. this year. It was very because it was funny. You said, and I said as well at different times. You were a multiple world champion, and he never said times five, so we never had to go there. You know, that was yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't know how many times it was anyway because I I don't, really run, I don't really run like that, but I know that he was a world champion. That's kind of how I look at it. Fuck knows, Gary. I just saw the balloons go past me, and I'm like, what the hell happened there? I think that was for every time you win a title, you get a balloon. It was three. <laughs> Well, I don't know, Gary. Your guess is as good as mine. Is that? Does anybody uh, who's watching tonight can you shed any light on that? Is that a YouTube reaction from the fans that you give us balloons? It sounded like a robot behind you. What was that? I don't know what that sound was. I thought it was something to do with you. No, that was me. That was a motorbike went by the window. Okay, oh. at least we're, so we've we've solved the mystery of the of the motorbike, but not the balloons. Guys, Gary, you, you said to me um, backstage, as it were, off camera, um, you were interested in the situation with Ryan Garcia's next fight, which seems to be a very confusing situation where he said he's definitely fighting Roland Romero on a certain date. And then it's since been announced that Romero is fighting, um, I think he's fighting, who is Romero fighting? He's fighting somebody else instead. My mind's gone blank. Uh, he's, but, but the, 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 the little tank, uh, um, Pitbull. Isaac Cruz. He's fighting Isaac Cruz, right? Oh, so wow. keep your head in the middle, please. So we've only got one eye. You've only got one eye when you're doing that. Oh, oh. <laughs> Am I you. doing that again? Um, Tell yeah. you why I asked the question, Ben. Because <laughs> because I was at, uh, we were at the recent uh, Fury uh, Nganu press conference. Oh, Joshua, we was at the, me and Ben was at the recent um, Fury and Garner Fury... <laughs> 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 and AJ um, Presser. And a question was brought up about Oscar De La Hoya saying he was not letting his fighters, didn't think it was a positive to go to Saudi and all this rubbish, yeah. right? And the, um, His Excellency, um, Turkey Ali, whatever his name is, uh, he said... Uh, we'll miss you. Yeah. Now, what's interesting? Now, all of a sudden, this um, Ryan Garcia situation. Wait, 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 wait one second. What's his name? To, um, Turkey Al Al Sheik. <laughs> Turkey Al Al Sheik. Can you? Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Of course. <laughs> anyway, um, 
And so there was an if 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 that's Oscar's position, uh, he's obviously you know if he's going to limit the monetary gains of his fighters by being out of this this whole circus that's going on in um, in Saudi. Um, which I think is great for the sport if you can put better fighters together. Mm-hmm. There's been a few things that have come up, and it's a subject that is concerning re- regarding Oscar and his promotional company, Golden Boy. Like, if that fight has fell through, is the Oscar-Golden Boy situation coming to some kind of a... Is there some kind of tremor going on there with, with Golden Boy, you know? Possibly so, but I, I think any reluctance on De La Hoya's part... To- to, to take part in the Saudi kind of phenomenon could soon be smoothed over, you know, and I'm, I'm sure he could stand down from that position if it made sense. Um, what I am aware of specifically related to Ryan Garcia is there's literally no goodwill between the two of them and very little communication, it seems, because Garcia said he was definitely fighting um, Rolly Romero on a certain yeah. date. And then it was announced, like you say, that, that uh, he's fighting Isaac Pitbull Cruz, Romero, on March 30th, which is supposed to be Al Heyman's first PBC card with Amazon Prime on, on a view on this new platform. And uh, he said, you know, people have misled him and lied to him. De La Hoya said, I'm about to announce something really big for Ryan. But they, they, they seem like they hate each other, or certainly that Ryan hates the promoter. Do you know the contractual uh, commitment they have? It's obviously got some time to run. I'm not sure how long, to be honest, Gary. But it's obvious he's obviously tied in to a contract he doesn't want to be in. Because I saw him with Mayweather, very close, Garcia, not long ago. They were walking through Vegas together, yep. and Mayweather was promoting Ryan Garcia like he was going to manage him and fight. He said, "You know, we're going to do great things together and all this." So I, I thought, and then um, Oscar commented on it. It was a negative comment, of course. Like you shouldn't be even discussing your career with Mayweather. So. I just wondered what that's all about, and if if right, I, I I would imagine based on the the YouTube video I saw of uh, Garcia and Mayweather that that's the next stop for Garcia. Maybe so, depending on how long he's tied to Golden Boy, you know. Um, and what do you what do you make of it, Silk? I mean, does Ryan Garcia have the the potential to become that kind of banner carrying star in boxing, or do you think he do you think his limitations? Have been exposed to a degree already. I, I he's talented. Uh, I think um, if there needs to be a change in him, it needs to come from the level of like his training. Um, his yeah. commitment. I'm sorry. His commitment more so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, sometimes. Hey, listen. It's human nature to take to take the easiest route, right? And so. And so, um, and so that that tends to be. I think that kind of is going to be the way it goes. Like, just find the path of least resistance to get back to a stature where it's, you know what I mean, where he's comfortable. Do you think uh, because there is a pattern, there is a pattern of this uh, silk? I'd love to know your view. It's often that naturally gifted fighters are lazy, and uh, you know, and, and one would say just. Two kids, one works hard and makes it, and one's naturally gifted and makes it. Often the guy who works hard stays there longer. But why Why do you think if a gift, the gifted kid should be less motivated? It'd be great that he was as motivated and but gifted. He didn't have to try as hard to, be, to, to excel initially, perhaps, when, when he initially started to attract people to to him, like talent scouts or... I, don't know or I think sometimes but, it's just a matter of, like, it's just the nature of the individual. 
um, I've seen very talented people work extremely hard. And, yes. and because they work extremely hard, they end up, you know, maybe they burn their candles from both ends or maybe they just are out of fuel or can't, you know what I mean? Like like our, our adrenal stores have a lot to do with how long you can get up for a fight. And once those adrenal stores are empty, everything, you just become normal. Absolutely pedestrian. Like So that super talented individual, once all those adrenal stores are used up, you become normal, pedestrian, and it looks like you're not doing the same things you used to do, but it's just not physically or mentally possible because the adrenaline isn't there like that anymore. You don't become as resilient or you're not as resilient as you were. And, and it, you're not as, um, you don't get up as much. And, and, the, and, the, and the adrenaline sort of like masks the pain. So you start feeling the pain of things. And once you start feeling pain, that's teach, that, that causes you to fight a whole different type of fight. So a lot of people wonder, well, why isn't he like that? He used to be like this and the other. And they think it's age and time. And it's, it's not really that. I mean, I guess the adrenal stores being empty could be over time, but, but not necessarily. It can happen when you're really young, too. That's why you get burnout at 25, 26. Guys have been through wars. And, you know, it's like now you're in a war and you're like, oh, my God, like this again. And you just Did you experience that in your career when you suddenly thought, my God, this is, this is getting, this hurts? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, so, yeah, I, I felt it. Yeah. Like I remember when I got hit when I was younger and I got hit by some monsters and I yeah, like, shook yeah, it off. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but as you got, you know, and, and I got hit by people in the gym and I got hit by knowing that my body sort of like didn't, wasn't as resilient, like physically, like, you know what I mean? Like you'd yeah. bruise easier or you'd cut easier or that kind of stuff. But, 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 um, but that there's that physical mental balance that is just it's imbalanced. It's just not the same anymore. Can you relate to it, Gary? Yeah, I guess. Um... You only have one fight after Chris Eubank, obviously, so I have to put it in that context. But what what is the exact question, though? Well, Silk says he found a time in his career when suddenly, as if it. As for his theory that the adrenal stores eventually exhaust themselves, when he felt that punches just hurt like they didn't used to, and he wasn't as resilient as he used to be, he wasn't as quick as he used to be, and he just didn't have that edge anymore, and there was nothing he could do about it. I don't think um, I had that experience. Um, I I got out of the game after Eubanks because of the business, not because of the boxing. Yeah. You yeah. have more left in you. That's a, that, I, I guess so that's more. the difference. Michael probably doesn't feel he did have. Yeah, and, and Michael had a longer career harder career than me for more fights i think and uh probably better quality fighters uh you yeah know, I, I only fought really eubanks is that he was really the world class Top liner. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, you know sadly i never got a chance to fight someone world class at my weight you know what i mean because yeah. uh, i would have loved that I, I, I was booked to fight um um who's the who's the big tall skinny southpaw um at my time, I was supposed to go to Paris twice and fight him. Michael uh, Santos, Michael Nunn. Oh, Michael Nunn. Okay. Oh, no, so, former guest on this show. Two fights lined up with him, and two fights they pulled out for whatever reason, injury yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and then Gianfranco Rossi, I was yes. trying to fight with him. We could never get it done. Uh, we offered to go to Italy, and uh, so I had a lot of people avoid me because, well, I don't know at junior middleweight. I think tall. 
bit of a semi puncher southpaw is not the ideal opponent for anyone you know no. um so if there's easier routes they you know the they took them i think so but um yeah my regret is i never got to fight at that level but i got out the game due strictly on the business side of it just yeah. turn me off how old are you how old are you when you got out mid-20s mid-20s same with me i like i was finished I, boxing 25 26 which is kind and of I was, what made me i think a decent fighter was i was stubborn um and and but that was my detriment because um i felt i got ripped off by the promoter and i said you'll never earn another dollar from <laughs> me so that meant I won't fight. Yeah, that means you know. I, I didn't realize I wouldn't earn another dollar. You know, yeah, but I said, yeah. out of principle, I will never. You will never earn another dollar. I remember Jarvis Astor invite me to Marbella or something on his boat, and um, I was a young kid, and I couldn't even afford the flight. And yeah. I, I and my predecessors bought the boat. You know, um, and I, I remember saying, "This is crazy!" Like. He's own his business is boxing, and look how much money he's earned. And the fighters have got nothing. And all I remember walking down the street being a champion, British champion, and people asking me for my autograph. And I was broke, you know. That yeah. I, I was lucky that I, I soon wasn't broke, but it was mostly because of the endorsements I did outside of boxing. That's in boxing at that time for me. I was not making money boxing, not like no. I was making decent. Not only not to today's standards, but I was making some money. But the amount of fights—imagine two fights a year—it doesn't last long. That money, you know, oh, or three yeah. fights a year maximum when you get up to the title fights. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was really not that money. It's incredible the money they're making now. It's uh, yeah. I wish, I wish I was here now, but you know, imagine <laughs> that as well. Because imagine with the, with social media today, with someone who is as marketable as you were and you uh, Silk as well. You can only you can only wonder what advantages you might have made of the social media situation if you'd both been starting out today as young pros. Imagine the fight with me and Silk. He's sponsored by Max Factor, and yeah. <laughs> I'm sponsored <laughs> by Lorraine. And it would be whose makeup drips first, you know? It would be. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that fight. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> well, yeah, no. But the problem in in my day, as you know well, Ben, was. Two networks and, and each promoter had the network. BBC and ITV. Yeah, and if you was not with either, no one ever sees you anyway. So you, you know, so so they could do whatever deal they want because if you're not with them, no one's going to see you fight anyway. So uh, you had to take the one of the lesser evils. So they had you buy the balls. They could tell you what you're getting paid. Whereas now it's changed. But it has because you know. When when Terry Lawless, Mickey Duff, Jarvis Astaire, and Mike Barrett had a stranglehold on British boxing in the nineteen seventies, until they were challenged by Frank Warren, who ended up cutting himself a big swathe of that market um, against against the odds with an uphill battle. Fighters then, Charlie Magri said he didn't even know he was supposed to be getting TV money. He didn't know that was a thing. He 20, thought he was I think he's twenty two percent, and I had every fight I had was on TV, and I never got a dollar from TV. I only found out later. That he's twenty two percent. I met a guy in a bar who worked for one of the TV networks that was doing all my fights, and he's like, yeah. and we ended up talking, and he told me the numbers twenty two percent. That was part of the deal that that when I left, 
I said, where's my fucking TV money? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I said, yes, yes, yes. Who was so, your first manager? My first manager was Mike Barrett. Yeah, exactly. So you were part of that cartel thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that's what they call them still. They call them the cartel. And they had everything sewn up in the, in the 1970s stroke early 80s. Then Frank Warren came along in the early 80s. And, you know, he got hold of Joe Bugner at first, a comeback in Joe Bugner. And he, Warren said the biggest problem at the time was that there was no venues for promoting because the cartel had exclusive deals with Wembley and the Royal Albert Hall, which were the big boxing venues back then. So he was promoting Joe Bugner at the Bloomsbury Crest Hotel, which is quite a nice-ish hotel in central London, but it's not it's not the Royal Albert Hall. Do you know who owned Wembley? Say again? Do you know who owned Wembley? Who owned Wembley at the time? Jarvis Astaire. You're kidding me? Did he actually owned it? I didn't realise he owned Wembley Stadium, no. That's why I love Ambrose Mendy. Because Ambrose came in. I know Warren, you know, broke up the thing which was very healthy with boxing when he came in give people an option from the Mickey Duff. Yeah. Went to the third splinter when Ambrose came in and pretty much took on both of them and did an incredible job with uh, Nigel, you know. Ambrose Mendy, Michael, is someone we want to get on the show. I've spoke to you about him before, but he was quite a maverick. He first hit the boxing consciousness in the mainstream because he was Nigel Ben's agent. They, the British Border Control wouldn't give him a license, so they wouldn't license him as a manager despite several applications. And so he was acting as an So why? Why not? He said it was racism. Uh, that was one of the claims, the charges he made against them. Because he had a brain. If your face doesn't fit in it, Gary, and and they, and they yeah. think you might. And, and Ambrose is super eloquent and super smart. And you like, would love him, Silk. I would have loved to have been with Ambrose. I should have been smart back then and, and gone through him because he'd have probably took me. I was the perfect fighter for him. But uh, he yeah. was so wrapped up around Ben. Him and Ben were like brothers, you know. They and they mm -hmm. took on everybody. And uh, he was he was just a brilliant marketer. Ambrose. He was a. He was just someone you want to be around because he was so. He was like a black James Bond, you know. He, he was, and, and he's so. He's one of the most fascinating, interesting people I've ever met in boxing. And anytime I bump into him on the streets, we always stop for a coffee for an hour, unless one of us has got an urgent appointment. I, I do want to get on the show he's, to give you a taste of him, Michael. Yeah. What's great about him is he's one of the chaps. Like he's 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 had a life, so he's not intimidated by any of these fuckers. They, they, they no. can't, you know, he'll take him on. He'll take him on intellectually. Involved in boxing, I he, wish. You know what? He most recently he was involved, uh, relatively recently, as James James DeGale's advisor for for a long time. Until I think up until the point that DeGale fought, I think it was Andre Durrell, where he suddenly wasn't involved. But do you a know girl, um, a girl fought Durrell? Huh? A girl fought Durrell. James DeGale. Oh. <laughs> Right. Can we cut that one up as one of the funny ones for Instagram for 60 Second Reel? That'd be good. Uh, especially the way I sound it so pissed off. <laughs> okay, sorry. My bad. You've heard of James the Gale, right? No. You are, you are kidding me. <laughs> you said James the Girl. I was like, who? Like, I know. I'm asking you, have you heard you of James the Gale? So Rasta, trying to impress him. You know, have you not heard of James the Gale? I know. Who is he? He was an Olympic gold medalist who won world titles as a pro. He was super middleweight world titles. Fought Andre Durrell in the States. He okay. uh, Final fight was against Chris Eubank Jr. He, he, he's, a, he's a very well-known fighter here. Like his first defeat was to George Groves. He beat and, uh, Lucien Boutte. He was a world champion. No, See, you know what? That was, there was a time in boxing when I was, um, I was so caught up in my own world that I didn't 
like the, in the middleweight, the super middleweight middleweight division, I, I just kind of like disconnected from that for some reason. It was, it was, it wasn't. I mean, I don't think James Tony was there in the super middleweight. Was you, was you a breaker downer? Did you get videos of your opponents and break them down? No, no, I didn't really get a lot of that. I mean, once I got to no, really no, not really. We didn't do that work. It was our training was very much like arcane, like the old days, like. You, four rounds of this, four rounds of that. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like you get in there and you just when you're you sparring for conditioning and for getting in shape and to learn to slip punches. But yeah, I never, I never until I started fighting with Angela Dundee and Hector Roca did I start using a style that would be like the person I'm going to fight. It's funny. I used to get there's a guy. Remember Eric Guy? Do you, yes, um, of course. Used to video everything, right? Mm. Yeah, uh, and I used to call Eric. He'd get me the video. I used to when I could, if there was footage on guys, I used to. And because for me, I would sit and watch my opponent two, three fights, and then say, "I'm not exactly how to beat him." And they, and then normally, like nine times out of ten, um, it worked. You know, yeah. and the funny, one- the funny thing is, even with Eubank, I, I watched him, and if you, and if you look at the fight, I mean, there's there's different opinions but for the five rounds before i completely not that i was i was beating him on all the on the scorecards but what i was doing to him was nullifying him it wasn't letting him get off with what he get normally got off with if you look at the ben watson or the or the uh, the eubank watson eubank ben Five rounds, there was such dynamics, people getting hit, people getting hurt, but it was like crazy fight, right? With me, there was none of that. He couldn't, he was non-effective at all. And so I broke him down how to de-affect him and and not allow him to do what he wants to do. I knew exactly how to do that, but um, I just wasn't strong enough to do the other, which was to execute him, but... but, um, but I did it based on just broke him down. I watched his style, watched how he moved, watched how he he did what he did, and I thought, nah, I don't know how to stop him doing that. And I constantly kept going on his left and then changing direction and never let him get set. I would I would throw short jabs and then and then long and you never let him get used to any kind of distance because Eubanks used to get in range, so I would never let him get in range. I would I would get I'd let him think it was too close, too far. And, I mean. And I enjoyed that part of the game a lot. I, I'd sit alone and actually watch it and break it down. And in fact, Michael Watson came to my house before he fought him on the first fight. And we watched yeah. on TV together, uh, Eubanks, and, and we're breaking him down together. Yeah, I remember seeing Michael Watson like literally a couple of days before that first fight. He was training at Thomas Beckett. He was just shaking out, you know what I mean, having a really light one, shadow boxing and stuff. There's a gentleman named Ray Poplowski who used to provide all the fighters over here in the States with footage on fighters. And he was amazing. He had everything you could ever ask for. Those people were so important back in the day, weren't they? And also, people like Mickey Duff who knew every fighter and they had the backlog or Johnny Boss so they could tell you you know because they didn't have box rec it's it's so easy these days just to go on box rec and see what somebody's done and to go on youtube to see if you can find any footage of them and usually you can whereas back in those days those people were so indispensable weren't they yeah they were but uh, yeah absolutely no buts no if ands or buts absolutely they were yeah in the end of the day it's like did you need them um 
I know it's like you're getting great shape and you they get in great shape and you and good fighters work it out. You know what I mean? You have to be able to read it on the night, don't you? Whether you whether you've never even heard of them, you get in the ring and you see you have a problem in front of you and you've got to figure them out. Yeah, it's like a game of chess and then you work it out. But like and even and often it can be dangerous to look at video because they're fighting people who are not you, so it's different. So yes, you, you get a false read. But um, but it it is good to see you know obviously footage and and see some of the good points that they have maybe it was a big left hook a big you do right. you do absolutely you want to know your fighters habits yeah what the habit is but yeah. but you need somebody to sit down beside you and and to and to analyze that to make sure you're yeah yeah bounce the it coach. off one another and make sure that's really what is happening yeah but the coach like because when you're by yourself you can conjure up anything and you could see you could. Look at something that looks like a weakness. Is that absolutely is his strength? I mean, it's just. I tell so you, when you guys went to Philly and you called me with Scully in the car, yeah, I yeah. didn't realize it was Scully. I wish I'd have known. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was a taxi driver. Like I didn't. Know you thought it was a taxi driver who just happened to work with Perturbi Evans and shipped no, in. He, he never, never said that. Our name, he, he never said that because he said. He said, you know, when he talked about um, Canelo, he said he never calls us. But I, I was thinking, for, what, for taxi? Cab phone. Cab phone. <laughs> no, yeah. but he didn't say the name of Perturbia. So I, I just didn't register. It was, I don't know if the line was great, but you put put me on and said hello. But, yeah. but you know, Scully is so humble and cool dude, but he's really got a good brain about boxing. You know, when I listened to him yeah. interviewed, he's, he's really got a great brain, you know. Scully is brilliant. Michael uh, calls what, him. What you, Michael, what do you think makes that? Um, I'm not sure if Scully was a great boxer. I'm sure he may have been a good boxer. Or I'm not sure of his boxing record, but there have been some really good coaches who have not been great boxers, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is always Freddie Roach, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think Freddie's the best coach, to be honest. Really? Well, no. Before you say that, Gary... Can you get an interview with him now? You're in LA and get for content and say that afterwards. <laughs> no, no, right. Let me tell you something. I don't think he's a, a bad coach. <laughs> no, I, I, had, I had Freddie before 90% of the guys. He was in my corner with Eubanks, if you look. He looks like he's 12 years old. Yeah. But the, the amazing thing about Freddie, he is a great coach, but I mean, not, I mean, Great, I look at different kind of coaches when you talk about great. Um, Freddie was the coach in maybe what I am to boxing. He was good, you know, but I wasn't Sugar Ray Leonard. And you can't, and, but he gets the, he gets the, he gets the hype like he's Sugar Ray Leonard and he's not. What he has, which is incredible, is an ailment, which is Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Right. And Parkinson's disease is a debilitating, debilitating, uh, uh, disease that that you can live it affects with. Your speech. Sorry. Well, it affects your physical. In fact, you know every everything. Freddie walks. He has difficulty physical. He, he can't get out of bed, um, and that you know. So, but what? So with that, with that but thing, he's still very cognizant. Yeah, but 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 with that 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 disorder, this 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 problem he has, when Freddie knocks on your door at five a.m. With all the ailments about him, you yeah. better get up and go running. Because you see, I used to say, My God, like I was exhausted. Freddie'd be there. Freddie said, Come on, let's go, let's go. And he'd be limping, getting in the car. 
And I used to have such respect for him because I thought he's amazing. Like normal coaches who had any kind of ailment like that would say, see at the gym, they would send someone maybe to run with you. He did everything on his own. He fought the whole way. He struggled physically to do it. He took me on the mitts. He did, he did everything that he shouldn't be doing. And the psychology in that was saying, wow, this man, if he can do it, the, the least I can do is my side of the bargain. The so best, he's yeah. a great motivator. That's his thing. He gets fighters to work. And um, because what Freddie, I think the one flaw that Freddie has, if he, ha if he has one, is he's so game himself mentally. He wants all his fighters to be game. And like he, he, he loves the fight. And I, he's not Mayweather who loves defense. Very, he loves to. to that go was up. interesting when when he was handing up to Ben Davison in the first Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight. Ben at the time was very much a Cody in box, box move, sick and move, stay out of the way of that power. And Roach was saying, listen, he could stop him if he went and get went after him and went and did a number on him. Which, funnily enough, in the rematch, that's what Fury did. But I remember the the difference of opinion there between uh, Freddie Roach saying Ben's a, not a very experienced coach and he didn't realise his man could have won by stoppage. When I fought you, but first thing he said is get out there and smash this cunt. You know, he yeah. was like, he, and you know what? Great. Um, Jimmy Tibbs was the same though. Jimmy said, so We go and smash this, you know. He was like, But Jimmy you know, does like boxers though, right? He does, well, he like does. Jim, but Jim, no, Jimmy's an absolute precision. He likes to, he's a surgeon in, in the way in which he trains you. But, but he, he, what I love about Jimmy, if he's got kids or someone who maybe the one 10 percent don't have belief, he, he, Jimmy will give you the belief. I'd rather. Go and get knocked out, then go back to the corner and have to answer to Jimmy for being a pussy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he said, "Get out there and smash this mug." You know, and and he and you wind you up, and out you go. And three minutes later, he come back exhausted. He'll wind you up again. And out do you, you remember? Do you remember when Errol Christie got unexpectedly beat by a guy called Charlie Boston, an American sort of decent kind of road road fighter? And when he got decked in the, it was either first or the second round, but it was early doors anyway. And he was in all sorts of trouble. When he got back, I remember Jimmy saying to Errol, he gave him the pep talk. Then before the bell rang, he said, let's not let each other down. You know, And there was something quite threatening about it. Like, come on. Yeah. No, Jimmy, together. you had to... Because when you when you train with Jimmy, it, he's very much with you. It's like being your best mate in a street fight, you know? And yeah. it's, you and you don't want to let him down, you know? It's like... You, you you don't want to embarrass Jimmy because Jimmy's very moral. He's very you're his fighter, and so um, I think Mark. You know, Mark's just the same. The, the, you saw when the Chisora incident when he threw the table. Yes, Mark. Yeah, Mark tips up. He, he'll have it with anybody. I mean, Mark threw his microphone at Jimmy. Yeah, Mark and he's, and Mark is the nicest human being on the planet. Like you cannot get a kinder, more gentle man than Mark Tibbs. But like his dad, if you're if 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 Mark's right, he'll die to be right. He's not gonna. You're not gonna. You, no one's ever gonna put it on Mark Tibbs. He'll die before he lets someone. He will not back down. He's got a great mind. He's got incredible morals. They're good men. The Tibbs family. You know, Jimmy raised Mark very well, and Jimmy. A moral man, Jimmy Tibbs. Of all the men I've met, he's the most moral man. Mark's the same, and it's so beautiful about that. You know, they they're just. They're the guys you want in your corner. If someone said to me, would, you've got a bat with, you know, I wouldn't take Mike Tyson or some 
or Francis Ngannou, yeah. I'd take Mark and Jimmy well, Tiffany. I, I was in a bit of trouble once back in 2016. This thing blew up well out of proportion. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, just, just once? Okay, maybe more than once. But but I was in a specific bit of trouble in 2016 and various threats were being made and people were saying this and that and people were exaggerating what had happened. I don't know if you remember it or not, Michael, but it was pretty, it was pretty public on social media. And then Mark said to me, listen, Ben, all them cunts who's threatening you, yeah? He said, if any of them want to have a meet, we'll have a meet. He said, and I promise you, no one will touch you. Which, I mean, I, you know, I fight my own battles, but that was very touching of him to say that. No, they're legends. And people, all the big gangsters in London, not, no one fucked Jimmy Chips. Because there's, unless you want to do 20 years and kill him, you know, if you want to kill Jimmy, fine. But if you don't, don't fuck with him because he will come back and you're going to get it. So yeah. there's, you can't go halfway with Jimmy. If you have a problem with Jimmy, you're going to have to get rid of him because otherwise lock your windows, <laughs> lock your fucking doors. Because yeah. he'll be back, you know. So no one because But you know what most of it is about with Jimmy Tibbs? 99.9% .9 of the time was because he was moral and he was right. Yeah, and he and he would die for that, Jimmy, and he would die smiling, being right. So, I think Jimmy's always been a very honest man and a very kind, respectful. So, anyone who wants to fuck with someone like Jimmy or Mark, then they, then they are going to get it, and they deserve to get it because the, these guys are such good people, not a bad yeah. bone in the body. So, my it's a shame we couldn't hook up with them when you were here uh, recently. You know, we were. At one point, we we're going to go down the gym, but we'll have to do that next time you're over. Yeah, I didn't have the time with the my schedule was so bad and it was so far, but we can do it for sure next time. Yeah. yeah. So, guys, there is a big fight this weekend in Phoenix, Arizona, that pits John Ryder against the undefeated Jamie Munguia. Um, I know you would, you're not overly excited about it, I'm aware, Gary, because I mentioned it off stage and you were like, you said, I'm not really feeling that one. Do, do you want to tell me why? Yeah, uh, John Ryder, I like, um, but I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm never, I'm never crazy about his fights. I, I often get uncomfortable watching him because he often takes a lot of punishment, and um, and he's, you know, I, I have a great respect for him, but I don't particularly enjoy watching him for the fact. I, I don't know. Maybe um, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why, because I do respect and like him, but I don't like the punishment he takes. Uh, well, and yeah, it was yeah, against Canelo, he took a lot of punishment, certainly. Yeah, and he, and, and he, he takes it. Most fights is in wars, you know, and most people say, well, that's exciting. Some wars are exciting. I, I, the rider wars I've seen, I've not found exciting. Um, so who are you so, taking? Uh, what's the, what's our, what's I don't our, know the other guy, Ben, to be honest. What are you record? asking, Silk? What's our collective records? Because we're betting on this one. Well, listen, before we talk about that, okay, first of all, you've gone there very quickly. Do you not have any foreplay when we do a fight breakdown? You know, you've well, gone straight I, into the... Yeah, I don't have a lot of time. That's Okay, okay. Yeah, you'll be, all right, we're 38 minutes and 43 seconds in. That's changed as I said it. But listen, um, all right, Gary, I, I'm appealing to, you know, you as, as a kind of tribunal here. He's asking what our totals are. Now, I want to describe something to you without any interruption from you in the middle, sir. I'm going to describe the case to him and see what Gary thinks, right? 
Last oh, week, we, are we late. still on this? Are we still on this? Yeah, because you want to. You asked me what the totals are. Before I tell him what the totals are, we've got to tell him what my dispute is. Our dispute, yes. I know yeah. it. I watched the podcast. Okay, I was, so I was I, sick, and you said because you didn't sell. The only one I didn't make a prediction, right? No, because yeah. he didn't. He didn't either. No, Listen, no, that's what it was, didn't. Gary. To recap. Listen. We were, we were doing a show about something else. Then we mentioned McMayer and Jonas at the end. And he said, so what's your prediction? I said, well, you want to do this? First of we have to let the people who are, know the people that all are. Right, but let me explain what happened to Gary. You know, just so I said, so are you going to, no, hang on. I said, are you, are you going to make a prediction too then? I said, because I, I, I said, I fancied the underdog, Maya. I think they're sleeping on her. Then I, I said, we're only doing this if we both make a pick. He said he would get his pick in before the first bell rang. He didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, it's null and void then because it, he didn't take part in it. There was no, that's not a competition, one person picking. The fact that Maya was robbed blind does not endear me to the situation either. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, Gary. Wait a minute, Gary. didn't make the choice. It's not a loss. He didn't make well, it. No, but... If you made the choice and were right, you'd get the win. But Thanks. he would not get the loss. I actually said to myself, um, so, as soon as, as, soon as right. he didn't put a prediction, and I said it's null and void. I didn't tell no, him but, that. But 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 then, if, if, you, if, if you don't, if Silk doesn't make the prediction, but you do, you're still putting yourself out there. So you would get the win, uh, and Silk just wouldn't, record wouldn't be affected. He doesn't get the loss for that, but he gets the. No, gets... I'm not asking him to get a loss. What I'm saying is that it shouldn't, I shouldn't be exposed to when nobody else took part in it. Ben, what, you're wrong, pal, what, and on the wind up system. What's been very re revealed at the minute is you seem to have an obsession, Ben, about beating Silk. I no, enjoy... not at all. He's I the one with the obsession. You're right. You're so right, Gary. It's true, huh? Yeah, it's no, so it isn't true. because. Ben, he said himself. Ben, you're saying it's not too late. He's saying, I don't love you. <laughs> no, he said, yeah, exactly. He said himself that he would rather, he'd lose if I'm going to lose, rather than, <laughs> rather than to see me win and him win. Yeah, because you were getting well cocky and really basking in this. And I was actually rooting for Gary. Because even though me and you were on the same thing, because it because you 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 were semi unbearable after the Fury and Gano thing, you were like Silk Stradamus. That was that was an, an amazing call, though. I mean, you've never gotten actually, over that, have you? And yeah. why would I get over it? That was one of the most impeccable. Like, who calls it cleaner than that? I could have, I should have just said the round too. I've, I've given you an example of someone who called it cleaner than that, and, and she doesn't know anything about boxing, she just got lucky. <laughs> I've given you an example. Okay, well, you're telling, me, that, you're telling me that Ryan is the favorite for this fight. No, he isn't. He's a fourth, he's a like a because this I, guy's 42 and 0. He's an underdog, Gary, Gary, Gary. So Ben does not. Get that. But uh, no, fuck it. I'll take the loss. His record or you not? have it. You can have it. Let me ask you something, Ben. I'm looking at this guy, 42 and 0, but he's yes. never fought for a title. Well, I, I believe he has a light middleweight. Wasn't he, wasn't he a, a light middleweight world champion, I believe? I know it's getting devalued in this day and age, but I believe he has been a world champion at light middleweight. I don't believe he has. I'm, I'm sure someone could tell us that. I'm looking at box rec now, and normally it gives you when it's a title fight, and it's just no, it doesn't anymore. You have to click on the fight. You have to click on the fight to actually see it. Okay, so we're change, hopping but... all over the place like the, the Beganga crickets, just locusts. No, you know what, Ben? I'll tell you something. He's not fought for a title. I'll tell you for why. How I know? 
Or may have. He has, I'm pretty sure. Liam Smith, he beat. Yeah. yeah. And Jake Kilroy Kelly. So what's the record, Ben? Liam Smith, he should beat Listen, John take, take the fact that you didn't even partake, so you didn't like, take any risks. No, no, no. What's Gary's record? What's Gary's record? Gary is seven and three. You're a seven and three. And you're and I'm seven and six. Take it. We've still all got seven ones right. Okay, so who are you on for this fight? I, I suspect my, my prediction would be Munguia on points. It might be disputed. I think it yeah. will go the distance. I really do think that. Um, and I think Munguia will get his hand held up. There might be some argument about it. But that's what I'll go with. Silk's um, going to do his tomorrow. He, he, he's going to send it by smoke signal. <laughs> Gary, you're so angry. I mean, Gary, Ben, you're so angry. I've never I, seen you in... <laughs> I've never, I've never seen him with the, you ever seen a therapist ben? this is steam coming out of his ears look at this yeah. what has he done to to get you to this point you know why it's a handicap handicap used to flip up like this and go around in circles but yeah, it was domestic on. violence then you got flushed and you're moving around a lot you yeah, can tell well, when he's not when he's not sitting in his chair his cheeks leave his chair the angrier he gets i'm glad you never fought silk it got you before the fight <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, that would have been a, a different thing. No, he just sat you out, or he's done you already on the show. I, mean, <laughs> I love you, Ben. I'm, you know, you're my boy, but he's got you. He's got you under your skin. If we did it today, I reckon I wouldn't have stared him. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be unde undeviating with one eye. Forget about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, so. So I'll seven, go one guy to three, Gary. We're seven and three. That's with his numbers. Listen to him. Seven and three are you and I, and seven and six is Ben. Yeah. So you're like, what do you bat? You're batting like an average I'll, of four hundred Ben, and Ben's like, like oh, we're like racehorses, and he's a bit like a donkey at the minute. Oh, all right. Ask me one thing, Gary. Ask me one thing. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree that I should be eight and five because? Maya won the fight. Huh? I should be eight and five because Michaela Maya won that fight. No, you can't. If she lost it, she on the. No, stop. what I'm saying. What's your opinion? Did you watch the fight? Yes. Do you agree that I should be eight and five if if they'd have scored it right? No. Well, you, you thought Jonas won that fight. No. No, you don't. So, so no. So you do agree. I thought it was a draw. Okay, so what? So what? What happens if it's a draw? We what do we do by that? Well, if it's a draw, no score. But you I think to, yeah, you have to go. You have to go by the officials. What the officials? No, what I'm say saying is, what course. happens if we get a draw in future? We haven't had one yet. What if happens it's a draw? Our... It's the, the record remains the same. Oh, right, so we all get. A, oh, we all get a loss because we. No, so if it's a draw, if it's a draw, then yeah, we get a loss because they said it's a draw. If I bet a horse to win and it doesn't win, it. Yeah, but if you we'll bet on something lose. like KO and it went on points, we still win in this, whereas you wouldn't at the bookies. Well, the thing is, is this. If you bet for her to win and she doesn't win, that's a reality. It's a loss, isn't it? Yeah. I understand that. What I'm saying is we're not like the bookies because if you pick, if you pick, for instance, Ryder by KO and he wins on points, you'll still win by our rules. You wouldn't because, win the bookies. Yeah, because we decided, we decided you don't have to call it yeah, that. by the win. By the win. But I know. So I'm just but if it's a draw, we didn't get the win. I understand that, but I'm just saying your analogy about the bookies is it needed, you know, it needed put in context. You have to correct me, I, yeah, publicly. 
Is that your... then, then seven and five is not that bad, really. You're at least batting above. No, know. I'm seven and six now because of this one. But it's cool. Let's, let's go on with it. Let's, You're not let's, seven it's a and long six. You never won. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I, I you think off, the, off the official record. You can't say I think she wants to have the money. No, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is my appeal yeah, is based yeah, on the I, I, I wouldn't want to see you in the bookies. My, my appeal. You say, I think my horse won. Bet it lost. <laughs> I think it won't pay me. Now, listen, my appeal is based on the fact no other cunt took place in the, in, in the poll. Hey, Ben, you go to jail for that shit. <laughs> uh, my appeal is based on the fact that he didn't actually tend to. I want you to put my betting slips on in the book. <laughs> ben goes in with a 12 gauge. Gary's horse won. No, it came third. I say won. Well, I identify as the winning better. Yeah, that's the, that's the difference. What would your record as an amateur? Uh, twenty-six and twelve. So it was twenty-six. So it was thirty-eight and oh. Thirty-eight and one twenty-six. <laughs> thirty-eight and oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know what? They were all bad decisions. They were all yeah. terrible decisions. And doesn't. If they were all terrible decisions, you were uh, twenty-six losses and twelve wins. You could have been the other way around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's funny. Oh, my God, my ribs. No, but, no so we've got to go off the record, Ben. So you did. You have to take another hit. You lost. Yeah, I think we wasted too much time on that. But there we go. That is what it is. Let, let's see. This is a long game. This is, but, okay, okay so what, what do you reckon? I made my prediction. Are you making yours, Silk? Or do you want to wait till tomorrow? <laughs> you know, I'm tomorrow. You know what? I do have to jump. Um, I don't know if I can make that decision within the few seconds I have left. Have I, may to. Have to, I may have to wait till tomorrow. I'm just joking. I'm going to go with Mungia. So we're all yep. the same. Yeah. So we all think Mungia is going to win. Jaime Mungia. So, okay. Yeah. Um, well, that was relatively simple, wasn't it? That was. And then let's get that point back, huh? So that we're, all going to, we're still got the same amount of wins at the moment. It's just I've got more losses than you guys. No, but that's, 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 not, that's not a minor thing either. Because I've had, well, no, because I've had more fights. I'd see. much rather have two losses than eight losses or seven, six, six losses. How many record. did you have officially, by the way, in your paid career? Not that I don't know. but In my paid career? Yes. I think, well, I th okay, so there's the perfect example, right? Here's a perfect example of what you just did. I have to, I fought this guy, Dennis Milton, right? They That they yeah. talked about before. And he, he beat, you know, a lot of McClellan and all those guys before. Yeah, I, yeah. I fought him. I knocked him out in the twelfth, in the tenth round. I knocked him out like he was out, out. The referee waved the fight over and everything like this. They went to a decision. They went. The, the referee after after like five minutes said, "Oh, the fight was over." He waved me off. He pulled me off him. The kid was out on his feet. He goes, uh, "I thought I heard a bell." From there, oh. they. They, they thought they heard the bell from there. They took it to the athletic commission. The commission says, well, we can't do anything. The referee said he thought he heard a bell. They gave him that decision. I knocked him out. They, in fact, it was like this. Uh, Milton's people, his managers, came to Randy Gordon, who was the commissioner at the time, and they said to him, we're going to throw you out the effing window if you don't give this fight to my guy. Yeah. He said that to him. It was documented in the newspaper, New York Newsday and the Daily News. And you know he got. I don't want to get thrown out the window. So he so they gave him the fight. It's like, uh, but bro, what's your job? Like, what is your job? Your job is to oversee it. But anyway, my point is, 
no matter what I, no matter what, the fact is, on my record, I have a loss that I shouldn't have. I legally, officially knocked him out. I've lost the same. I've lost the same with the Julian, Julian Monville clash of heads. Clearly on the ropes, I'm trying to hit him. He bounces off, hits me, clash of heads. That's a non-contest, and yeah. they give give it loss. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's clear. there was no issue. Every even commentary, wow, terrible clash of heads. Ben, so it's not like we're in, we're not sympathetic to your plight. It's just the fact that on a scale of grandioseness and stuff like that, yours is a little less. Okay, I know you have to run silk. I know you have to run silk, but we'll play a game. Okay. You can ask Ben any question you like. We get one each. Ask Ben any I'll, I'll ask him mine first and then oh, you can yeah. say. Okay. Ben, what is the deep rooted nature of your wanted to beat Silk and everything he does? I don't think that that actually exists. I think that's a, a, a phenomenon that you perceive. But we'll say he got a little, um, he, he got a little annoying after the Gano Fury thing. And I started thinking, because <laughs> because he was like, that kiss the ring thing, you know, and all the rest of it. After that, I was like, <laughs> upside, you know, if, if, if Silk wins, I win. But the upside is if Gary wins, at least Silk doesn't think he's absolutely, you know, like he doesn't think he's Nostradamus. I think it came from <laughs> and, there. But, um, but and let me ask you, you, do you often have sleepless nights when thinking about Silk and this, this quest? <laughs> <laughs> I got. I got to tell you that I don't know. It's. Uh, I sleep pretty soundly at night. But Have you uh, it is funny, you know, the, the dynamic between me and Silk, as we've spoken about before, has changed as we've got to know each other better. There's more of this kind of rivalry and banter and that kind of thing. Well, obviously, when I first spoke to him, I was like, I can't believe Michael and Silk Elijo. What an honour this is. And you know, and we're both very mutually polite and complimentary. Now we know each other better. You know, look, me and you, we're already good friends, right, Gary? And part of that's because we've already gone to that. You've already because you shared a pie with me in my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've already sanded off at me and said, "I'll fucking destroy you if you do X, Y, and Z." Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? This is getting, guys, this is getting good, but I gotta run. Oh my god, <laughs> where are you going? Okay, just tell us where you're going. I gotta go. Where are you going? He wants oh, to know where you're going. Money awaits. Okay, go okay, ahead. He's got a session, a PT. We go. can finish it up. So, yeah, no, what I was saying was part of the thing of being friends and becoming closer friends is when you ha have had a little bit of that conflict. Do you know what I mean? You get closer, don't you, normally? Yeah. When you've gone beyond the politeness and just being mutually kind of complimentary yeah. and appreciative, yeah. friends actually have these little things and fallouts too, don't they? You know? And they get closer, yeah, always. Yeah, I've, I've had fights with my mates and you end up best even closer, you know? When yeah. You've, yeah. When, yeah, yeah. So, Ben, um, any thoughts on this Fury and um, and Garnu last to stop? You mean Joshua? Joshua and Garnu. Uh, any any different thoughts as time's gone by? Well, you know, we've still got until March the the eighth for that fight to take place. Um, so, have you revisited the Fury um, and Garnu fight? To look not, at again, me and you tried to, and the computer was playing up, the Wi Fi was playing up when you were in London at the hotel, so we didn't really get a chance to watch it. And I haven't done since. Um, I still don't quite know what, what happened. I don't night. remember in Ghana at all how we fought, other than everyone kept saying so close. I don't, I didn't see him hit Fury at all. Did you? Or, 
well, he obviously hit him when he put him over, but but it was no, a very, yeah. But other than that, it wasn't like you didn't see. It's a strange fight. I just I just saw it was a a hard fight for Fury physically. He looked tired at the end, but um, I didn't really see like him getting hit or pressured or. But I didn't seem to do a whole lot to Engano either. It looked like a very just an awkward fight. Well, Engano looks very stand up and quite conventional to me. You know, strong pressing. But he, he looked a bit novice, to be honest with you, but he was extraordinarily effective against the guy who's the WBC heavyweight champion of the world. I, I don't think Fury took him seriously, whatever he says, however much he says he trained very hard. It didn't look like he had done any, and his performance didn't indicate that. And I think I just think Joshua really ought to do a number on the fella, Gary. Um, because Let what me ask you this, Ben, because I heard he trained hard for the fight, right? But I also heard, listen to this, and I want to know your view on it. So... I think it's quite clear that he trained hard for the fight. Even Joseph Parker said they did; they were doing ten rounds, twelve. What about the physical look of him, though? I mean, no, I this, this is the question. This is the question I'm going to ask you, and this is a question that you know maybe the viewers want to hear. So they said, everyone said he trained hard for the fight, but everyone said he never dieted for the fight. He was eating McDonald's, eating all kinds of shit all the time. Yeah. So the fact, like I always thought, if you train hard, it the only reason we diet is we have a weight uh, limit. Yeah. But I, I would love to have trained hard every day and eat what I want. But obviously, if you're eating excessively, the training's not doing enough to keep, and you're getting heavier and heavier, then then it is going to affect you, right? Do you know what Terry Marsh said a while? He said this quite recently on when he was on Facebook still and we were talking about diet. And he had this interesting, rather attractive philosophy when he said, my belief is that as long as you eat the good stuff, you can have as much of the bad stuff as you like. Because if you train as hard as one should, you will burn it off. So, But that's probably Terry probably had those kind of genetics. You need the nutrients, you know what I mean? If you're getting the shit food and you're not getting your vitamins and your minerals and you're just eating garbage, then, then you're going to deplete your body. When you're putting all that effort out and putting no nutrition in, if you're eating garbage, then you're going to get weak. You know, you need the nutrition. So what do you eat, think about eating good and bad then and training really hard and eating? I think if, as long as you get your main elements that the body needs to recover, because, you know, yeah. you need a certain amount of protein and minerals and vitamins and fluids. If you're replenishing the body fully from the trauma of training and eating excessively or eating shit on the side, I think you're fine... To, to a degree, unless you eat so much garbage that you start to gain weight, and then the weight becomes an issue. Yeah. But I think I think to have a free meal, uh, and not not you know not have to skip and not you know have a more relaxing training camp as long as you're not taking a piss, I think it would be great. But I think if you go excessively either way, then it's going to be a negative. But also, you know, Henry Cooper never forget. And he, uh, he wasn't the most technical guy in the world. I'll never forget, it was just somebody he said, he said, you know, fighters should always fight hungry. He believed that, you know, he he looked at Lennox Lewis getting ready for someone like Zelko Mavrovic, I believe it was, back in the 90s. And he said, where had he been training? He said, I looked like a skeleton when I was in training. And he didn't like the fact that Lennox looked a bit full in the face. And, you know, these old school heavyweights, they would train that must. Rocky Marciano used to train himself down to 13 and a half stone. Quite a big frame man, naturally, you know. But he would really train himself down because he thought it was important for his condition and his stamina to, you know. So they would diet like they had to make weight, Gary, some of these old heavyweights. 
know. Yeah, was, yeah. They don't do that anymore. I think, Ben, there's something in the when you are not when you're really like a hundred percent, meaning you don't have a bit of fat or a bit of extra, right? Yeah. I, I think maybe when you yeah, you're absolute prime maybe the reaction's a little better maybe everything's a little better when you're 100% on the money rather than it being a little soft maybe your your reflexes maybe you maybe that's why they they got themselves you know cuz it is you know when you get down to weight well not so much down to weight but down to like the week before the fight when it's all like the week before the fight for me I was always if I could fight everyone on the week before yeah I was knocking spy partners out week before Eubanks and then coming up to the fight, they were giving me a hard time because I was getting tired, you know. Getting but, weaker, yeah. Yeah, so it was, um, I kept saying, I think I, I should have put, if I had to pull back, been smart enough to pull back and not train so much. But because if you're undertrained, you can pull it out. But if you're overtrained, you got nothing to draw on, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing. And, and for me, um, I, just, I, I was so insecure because I didn't have the time. I, I overtrained and I ended up I ended up sick. You know, I ended up depleted. I was worn out. I was tired, and it was stupid because I should have just switched off and said enough's enough. Trusted that it that if I need it, I can pull it out. But um, what does happen is when you're exhausted, you've got nothing to pull out. Many non-reserves. So yeah, I think that's supposedly the Kerry Kay's a nutritionist who's quite, who's famous in boxing circles and working with Ricky Hatton. He said it's impossible to overtrain. You can only undernourish. Having said that, that quote is secondhand. Tundi Ajayi told it to me. He told me Kerry Kay's told him that. So I don't know if Kerry Kay signs off on that. But he, I don't know what you think of the idea that you can only undernourish. Well, that's what I was saying. I think I think the thing is with boxing when you the amount of work that you put out. If you don't get the nutrition, you're going to deplete. And that's when it becomes a negative. You have to get the depletion. Because, you know, you break your body down every day. And if you don't fuel it, you're slowly going to diminish. You know, it's called atrophy. When you don't eat, it's like if you don't eat enough protein every day, your body holds on to fat. Yeah, yeah. Because it says I'm being starved. So it holds on to the fat. So people think, I just don't eat. I'm going to lose weight. No, when you stop eating regularly your body says i'm being starved it then shuts down holds onto the fat and then it starts to eat the muscle it starts to eat itself so you end up skinny with a belly yeah yeah all the time you've got to get if you eat arnold svarsdegger told me i sat in a cafe in la and we was having a coffee and uh we're talking about nutrition and he said the biggest best kept secret ever have a shake in the morning protein when you wake up and a shake when you go to bed he said, after a certain amount of hours, your body knows it's getting fed regularly, protein. He said, just start burning fat in bed. You'll start to burn the re the pockets of fat, but the body will use them because it loves it for energy. But he said, if you stop taking the intake of protein and the body's not getting it, the body shuts down and holds onto the fat. So he said, you have to keep regular protein, regular protein. You see these bodybuilders, they're ripped. They're eating 50 fucking eggs a day. Yeah. Yeah. But the body's eating all the fat it can find, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it's so he eating... said what? Protein shake morning and night, yeah? Yeah, have a protein shake morning, protein shake at night. And he said once the body knows on a regular basis, uh, two, three days, it feels it's getting constantly fed, then you start to burn fat naturally. 
you said the body's a machine it has two two functions when you're getting regular protein it 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 will use energy fat as carbohydrates it will use the fat and stuff to burn energy when you don't eat protein it stops that process the body's smart it says i'm not getting protein so it stops that and uh, it holds on to the fat because it thinks i need some reserve yeah because uh, you know and then it starts to eat the protein its own body yeah it's crazy and you end up metabolic state yeah and it's called uh, atrophy and so so you end up thin with a belly so it's very very unhealthy but if you eat and these protein shakes now you're not getting fat on them they're so lean the protein shakes that they do and science has come so far so if you're not a bodybuilder you're just a regular person you know get a shake in the morning or you know have a have a three-quarter shake in the morning and a three-quarter shake hour before you go to bed and and be active and your body should get into a cycle where it naturally burns fat yeah but we're doing our own nutrition show right now, but I'm going to ask you while we're on this sort of a uh, subject. Uh, a former British champ said to me once he thought it was better to make your own protein shakes with egg whites and peanut butter. What do you think about that? Do you, or do you have an opinion on it? No, I think if you have good products and you and you and you know uh, what to use for protein, sure. But uh, the problem is. It, it, People give people advice, and the people who take the advice maybe don't always take it correctly. And there's also the the only problem with doing it yourself is measurement. You know, are you overdoing it or underdoing it? Whereas when you get the when you get the you know the protein the shakes, they give you the measurement to take every day, and so you you know they give you a scientific amount. Other people, if you eat too much of anything, you're going to gain weight. So yeah, people yeah. throwing protein and peanut butter and all this every day, they're gonna get fucking fat. So yeah. also, if you you've got to you've got to do something. You can't sit on the couch and eat this shit every day. You have to get somewhat active and get the body functioning, even if it's a walk and push ups or sit up. Do something that every day a little bit. But I, I like the shakes that you buy, and of course, there's some are good and some are bad. But at least you get a measure, and it's a science. Yeah. But I'm all for natural food, you know, and I think um, I think people who are who are doing this kind of stuff and doing the natural peanut butter and whatever, they're obviously conscious of their body. That's why they're doing it. So they're just going to trust themselves. Never, you know, not to overdo it. They'll, they'll know when they feel good or feel bad. Have you ever taken creatine? Yes. What do you reckon? I, I never really got into it. It used to make me feel a bit wiry. Did it? Uh, yeah, all I do, all I do is I do when I when I'm training at my best, I do a shake in the morning before the gym, and the shake is berries, banana, yeah, almond milk, yeah, protein powder, yeah, teaspoon of spirulina powder, yeah, sometimes one raw egg, blend yeah. it, drink it, go to the gym, train. Come home, have either breakfast or lunch, depending what time I went to the gym. So I eat again some protein, but clean protein. Yeah. And then nighttime, I'll have a meal, which will be uh, not. I try and do carbohydrates in the day, pastas and potatoes or whatever, and try and do it before I train. And then at nighttime, I'll have a protein, fish, chicken, meat, 
whatever with vegetables. Yeah. If I'm training to get results. Yeah. Generally for me, generally for me, if I just train every day, I eat what I want. I'm fine because I have a naturally slim. Uh, I don't get fat. Yeah, you you you're more that. Kind of, my dad called it a thoracic build or whatever. Way. Yeah. But, so, a lot. but it's funny. My two brothers are bigger than me, and I think they're bigger than me based on lifestyle. I think the years of dieting for me, I think it somewhat damaged me. Not damaged, but it, maybe it's a good thing. But it 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 got me in a, my body's kind of in tune to to, to be in mode. Yeah. Although that's not the case with a lot of fighters, like you know the Ricky Hattons and all these guys, they can blow up. But I think the blowing up mostly you'll find is alcohol, and yeah. it's not, and especially beer drinkers because because yeah. beer wine it's all sugar, it's all sugar. Ricky likes Guinness, doesn't he? And that turns to sugar. That's the problem, you know. I think with Ricky, he was such a an example of a kind of yin yang fighter that he was very very disciplined in camp. And he would eat 11 small meals a day, I used to hear, just like chicken and tiny amounts of chicken and green veg and meal supplements. And then as soon as he'd box, he was he was on the piss, he was on the lash, he'd go on holiday with his mates. And he would uh, and he would drink and drink and drink and he would eat loads of comfort food, you know, McDonald's, curries, KFC, all the rest of it, you know. And so he could put on... He could put on three stone, three or four stone, I think, in between fights sometimes. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been a... I don't think I've ever been a stone over fight weight in my life. You don't look at you don't look to me anytime I've I've seen you. No. I'm now I think now I'm now I'm a little bit skinny because I had this accident and I haven't yeah. I've been able to train and so um I'm still not I'm trying to do a little bit at the minute, but uh, uh it's not good. But um when I don't train I lose weight. And, and so, because like I get into this atrophy thing, when I'm not training, I'm not eating as much. But I just, I just, I just, when I train, my body loves loves it and it loves the fuel. But when I stop training, I don't blow up. Um, I just, I actually get skinny, uh, which I don't like. So, Ben, we have to run because I have a pot. I'm going. I'm in the in. The, in the mode to go and make some movies so i'm trying to get some things off the ground here in america and um yeah i got a bunch of meetings all day today so wicked well good luck with all of that um, i'll talk to you later probably tomorrow but we're back on sunday right back on sunday speak to you later okay god bless thanks all for tuning in be lucky keep punching sports social podcast network